Hi, I'm Natalie Heacock. And I'm Chelsea Brown. And this is Lumber Slingers. Each podcast, we will be bringing you relevant and useful industry information, including interviews with top lumber professionals and discussion of current events in the industry. Whether it be lumber grading, industry and market trends, or who's who in lumber, we hope to extend your current tally on industry knowledge. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Lumber Slingers. Chels, how are you? Doing good, Nat. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good today. I'm super excited. I, we have a great guest today. His name's Denny Sanders. And have you heard of him? I've heard of him. I have heard of him around town. He's our kiln and efficiency advisor at Patrick Lumber Manufacturing. And he has a so much. long time of experience under his belt. So much experience. Yeah. So we're lucky to have him, lucky to know him, lucky to learn from him. And we hope we can, you know, pass some of that knowledge along to our listeners. So without further ado, welcome, Denny. Hey, thank you, guys. Thanks for being here. Thank you um, for having me. I would like to clarify that I recently found out we have 89 listeners. So it has really oh. jumped up from the eight listeners that we started with. Thank and they're you, not, everybody. They're not all my mom or your mom. So <laughs> thank you, 81 additional people. <laughs> they probably are at least our dads and our siblings and um, et cetera. But you know what? Thank you, everyone. And now Denny's family, your wife for sure is going to listen to this. She will. She's going to ask uh, how to log on and watch her lesson. Awesome. Well, Denny, um, before we get started on, you know, talking about kiln drying today as our episode uh, topic, we would also like to maybe do a little intro of you and what your background and experience is. Can you kind of walk us through your experience? Yep. I started uh, about 31 years ago in the uh, lumber industry, working predominantly in the hardwood side of the business. Um, most of that time was spent as a lumber inspector and then moving into kiln drying in the quality control world. The last couple of years, I actually spent a lot of time down in uh, Terra del Fuego, Argentina, uh, milling, drying, and grading uh, linga, South American linga hardwood right before I come to Patrick Lumber. That's what an experience. And if I remember correctly, you were in, weren't you in South America when COVID hit? Yes, I flew home uh, March 13th of 2019, right before everything got shut, as things were getting shut down. Yeah, just a few days. I remember, I think my, the date in my head of, I mean, I think it was the 13th or 14th really when, so, yeah. Did you come home because of COVID or were you just on I was scheduled anyway? to come home. All the television news in Colwyn, Argentina is all in Spanish. So I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> Very little. Other than, you know, people were, that I talked to would give me little bits and pieces. But yeah, that's I, crazy. <laughs> I flew into a whirlwind. Yeah. yeah. So 31 years of experience, primarily in kiln drying and, and quality assurance and efficiency. You're a awesome operational efficiency manager as well from what I've seen myself. So thank you. You make for fantastic spreadsheets and coming yeah. from and accounting, that's a pretty big compliment. And slideshows. You make great oh, PowerPoints. Yes. 
So yeah, well, thank you. <laughs> hopefully uh, our, our listeners can, you know, visualize everything you're explaining. You're very good at teaching. So I'm excited for today's episode because of that. I know we'll get a lot out of this episode. So let's head on into some of these questions. What's a dry kiln? Okay, so a dry kiln is nothing more than a chamber where we have the ability to control the environment within that chamber. So the three elements required to drive lumber in that chamber are heat, relative humidity, and air velocity. Airflow being the workhorse of the dry kiln. It delivers their heat to affect evaporation, and it removes evaporated water moisture. People don't realize this. There's more money made or lost in kiln-drying lumber than probably any, any other aspect of sawmilling. And why is that? Efficiency? Just energy consumption, uh, lumber degradation, just a number of things that either makes you or breaks you on the kiln-drying. It's a slippery slope in there. Yes. Warm, slippery slope. <laughs> yes. Moist, slippery slope. <laughs> <laughs> So what are the three steps of drying lumber? Okay, so the first step is is actually the kiln drying process. Uh, it's a process of drying lumber within the kiln. Step number two is the equalization step, and that's bringing the pieces of lumber in a kiln charge to nearly uniform moisture content. And then the third step is conditioning. It's a controlled high temperature, high relative humidity condition used in a dry kiln after the final stage of drying to bring uniform moisture distribution within a board, and it also relieves drying stresses. So step number two, will you say that one again? Equalization. So do you actually go into the kiln and try out all the boards and see where they're at? Yes, we use an L612 meter with a stack probe and go in and do random moisture sampling you know, up and down the tracks, front and back if it's a front loader. And then that gives us our high high readings, our low readings in a standard deviation. And we're looking for a, basically a 1.5 or tighter standard deviation. So what happens if some boards are still really wet? Do you take out the dry boards, leave the wet boards in there? Uh, we would continue to equalize. So we would set a set point that will continue to drive the high moisture content boards down will not over drying the, the boards that have a lower moisture content. What's the, out of these three steps, that step two sounds like the most complicated. Would you say what's the hardest step of the three steps? That's that probably the, the trickiest step is getting everything equalized to a uniform moisture content. Yeah. Is it easier when all the boards are the same size? It really doesn't. Well, you always dry like species and thickness. Uh, the width really doesn't matter much. So when, when you say the same size, uh, you typically always dry the same thickness or like thickness and species together. What's more prevalent is where that board was cut out of the log. Is it heartwood, sapwood, mm. or a combination of both? So sapwood, you know, uh, hemlock is a really good example. Hemlock, you can have uh, a moisture gradient. You know, your highs might be at 230% moisture content and your lows green going into the dry kiln might be at 60%. So you have a huge green 
inbound moisture gradient that you're starting with. And at the end of the drying cycle, you want all of that lumber, you know, whether it's hardwood, you're targeting 8%, softwood, you're targeting 10 to 12%. Final moisture content. All right. Sorry, I have like so many layers of questions, but I want to keep this really high level. So, <laughs> um, do you have any questions off of the any more of the three steps of drying lumber, Natalie? Well, I know it's so hard because I I don't want to ask too detailed questions, but I won't. Can you just talk briefly about this? I'm going to say this so wrong. You know, like the sock thing that gets wet and then it gets dry. <laughs> so that's the wet bulb. Uh, <laughs> that's what controls or measures your relative humidity and operates your vents in your steam live steam spray in the dry kiln. So the wet bulb, which sounds a lot better than a wet sock. <laughs> you more can, technical. <laughs> so so it, technical. Is, it, it is a sock that you put on your on an RTD that wicks water. See, so it is like, a sock. I heard sock. you say sock one time and that's all that stuck. And now I will only think of it as a sock. Yep. So that sock is a really important piece of the kiln. Very important. Like because one of that's the most important. That's what's measuring and making kiln adjustments based on the humidity in that dry kiln. Automatically. You're not doing anything. The wet bulb, the wet bulb reading is what dictates if we're bending uh, if the vents close and we're adding live steam spray to raise the relative humidity, it's all based off of what that wet bulb and wet sock are, are telling us. That's so neat. Interesting. Yeah. Is that where all my missing socks go? Are they cotton? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Could be. I have lots of onesies. Don't know where the other yep. ones are. <laughs> Awesome. Well, let's move on to other important components of drying lumber. Okay, so dry kiln components? Yeah. Okay, so within a dry kiln, you have your fans. Uh, the fans deliver uniformly heated air, and they remove evaporated moisture. Our baffles, uh, once you get a kiln loaded, you're trying to direct the airflow. So you use baffles to direct airflow through the stacks of lumber and not around, over, and under the stacks. Our heating coils are used to, to control the ambient air temperature within a dry kiln. Our wet bulb in sock measures relative humidity. Our dry bulb measures ambient air temperature. And then our venting or vents are used to control relative humidity in the dry kiln. So if the relative humidity there's too much moisture. It goes up. The wet bulb runs above set points. The vents open and it vents humidity to the atmosphere. Then we have a steam spray line that is also used to control the relative humidity. Um, typically, at the end of a drying cycle, you do not have enough moisture coming out of the lumber to maintain the, the humidity. So you use steam spray to accommodate that. So do all of these, most of the things that you just talked about, you can see all of them from the software? Yes. So like yeah, if a fan went out? All are displayed on the graph. That's neat. And does it notify you if something goes out? No. You have to just, you just go so in and check it? There's no alarm or 
So we just continually monitor the kiln controller. That's so neat, though, the technology that's involved in it now. You think it's just like this box that you put lumber into and you dry it, but it's actually very complicated. Yeah, there it's it's an actual science drying lumber because every species thickness they all dry differently. Does it have presets? So you just you know you put the lumber in the kiln, you say, okay, this is hemlock, it's two by blah blah blah. Press a button, then it's a preset. Or do you have to actually go in and? We have to actually build the schedule, and then I keep all of the historical data that we produce, and I'll go back and say, okay. Uh, Looking at the history chart, we can save time here, but we should have added some time in, you know, a different place in the schedule. So we just continually modify and update the schedules. But we have to actually build the schedule and and input it into the controller. So what's the shortest kiln charge there is and what's the longest one? So right now, four quarter Doug fur is drying in roughly 62 hours. In heavy stock hemlock or cedar, which are very prone to checking and drying degradation, are probably upwards of 220 to 280 hours. Wow. So, because I never thought of this, and I should because I sell lumber, but do you charge different for different species knowing that Doug fur is going to cost? take, you know, it's going to turn around much quicker? Yeah, we have different costs by species and thickness for our drying costs. Makes sense. Okay, let's get into this interesting question. What does a proper unit ready for the kiln look like? Because you don't just throw, you don't schlep lumber in there when it comes in on a truck, right? Nope. So a proper unit would be uh, stacked on dry kiln sticks. Uh, those sticks are all uh, th- a full three-quarter inch in thickness, typically an inch and a half wide, and then they come in a variety of lengths. So you can dry on 48-inch, 50-inch, 72-inch. Uh, and when I was working on the East Coast, they even dry on 84-inch kiln sticks. Typically on the West Coast, everything, the, the units are stacked with the kiln sticks on two-foot centers. Uh, you're looking for, you know, nice, straight, good stick alignment, stick columns uh, throughout the unit. And then also on top of your stick columns, you know, you've got two by four, three by four, four by four bolsters separating the units. So when we're prepping units, stacking units for a dry kiln, you're looking for balanced weight distribution across all of those stick columns to hold everything flat and straight throughout the drying process. What's the best type of sticker stick? What's it made out of? A lot of people use Doug fir. I don't know if there is, you know, it depends on what you're drying. Um, The hardwood guys will use fluted sticks or hardwood, South American hardwood sticks. Uh, We're actually using an LBL layup stick that they're durable. Uh, they don't have much compression or shrinkage. They hold up well and they're uh, cost effective. Yeah. What does LVL mean? Why'd you have to ask me that? <laughs> uh, I was just, I uh, was testing you. I think it's veneer lumber or lumber veneer layup or laminated veneer lumber. 
laminated veneer lumber. Well, that wasn't the topic today, so don't feel don't feel too bad. <laughs> <laughs> What's it called? Does it have an actual term? You know how sometimes a piece of wood will come out and you can actually see the stick marks on the wood? Sticker stain. Sticker like- stain or sticker shadow. So that's from using a green or wet dry kiln stick, typically. Oh, the stick is wet. Right. Yeah, it's, it's a best practice kind of uh, kiln drying 101. Uh, you never use any dry kiln sticks with a moisture content higher than, you know, 15% inbound moisture content. Uh, and then once those sticks have been cycled through a drying charge, you never let them get exposed to moisture or, you know, dirt. You try to keep them dry and clean as you recycle them. How many times can you use them? Uh, the LVL sticks were probably getting 10 to 12 kiln cycles out of a stick. And then they start to compress and shrink and, you know, they're undersized. So we discard them and replace them. Right. They get too dried, just like what would happen to lumber if you kept drying as you it recycle over and over, them, and over yep. again. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So at, at uh, five-eighths of an inch or under, we'll discard them, replace them with the a new stick. All right. Makes sense. So I remember you talking about this and it thought it struck me as very interesting because I never considered that we were talking about the spacing, the importance of spacing the units in the green yard and in regards to, you know, how the wind is and how the sun is and how every where it's facing. So can we go into that a little bit and talk about the importance about yard spacing and why it matters? Yeah. So again, it's kind of species specific. You know, if you're trying to air dry uh, Western red cedar, you know, you want your yard alignment and orientation set up where you're going to have good airflow going through the units. Now, if you're drying a product that's prone to checking and color degradation, you would want to do this opposite. You would want to limit how much warm air you're blowing through those stacks of lumber. So it's it's really hard to say. It's, you know, typically in the summertime, you most species that are prone to checking and, and color degradation, you would want to keep those units all bunched up and oriented in the yard to minimize the amount of airflow you're getting through the units. Uh, the winter time, you would want to do just the opposite because you have less wind, cooler temperatures. You don't have as much moisture drop in the green lumber. So you would want to do just the opposite in the winter months. You know, face those, maximize the airflow, the spacing, and try to do as much air drying as you possibly could before the kiln drying process. Makes sense. I just kept thinking about those 115 degree days in my Dugford timbers, basically sitting in a toaster oven. Right. Like yeah, just, just baking a French fry. Just came out yeah. crispy. Yep. <laughs> you know, in a lot of yards utilize shade drying closures. So the shade dry cloth you can hang up and protect that lumber. You know, that shade dry cloth usually comes in 50% reduction and 80% reduction. It limits the amount of air or wind and UV uh, rays that gets through the shade dry. 
So on a hundred degree day, if we had a shade dry enclosure out here you, and we had it filled with lump, green lumber, you could walk into that shade dry enclosure and it would probably maintain a 65 degree average inside of that. Okay. Enclosure. Is that like the enclosure we have outside of the kilns, um, the dry kilns at uh, PLM? Right. They're on the cooling shed. Okay. Yeah, same, same material. Okay. You can just like throw one of those over some units. That wouldn't work. It has to be like attached to a building. Um, a lot of them, you just put posts up and you, you know, with cables, you string the shade dry enclosure up just to enclose it, protect the lumber from as much wind and sun exposure as you can. Some of them, you know, they put tops on them. But, okay. Uh, throw, throwing the shade dry over the units works. But it's not a very good practice. It's it's cumbersome to get on and off the units. The shade dry cloth is not cheap. And my experience with that is, is the guys usually are pulling it onto the stack of lumber or pulling it off. It rips, tears the shade dry. They're mm. pulling boards off. Ends up the on the ground. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Was that UC coating? Those UC the UC coating guys that made that supplied our yeah shade UC dry? coatings. This podcast brought to you by UC Codings. <laughs> and we visited with them last week at the Western Hardwood Association. Oh, were they there? Those are, I really like those guys. They're really great. Yeah. yeah, they're awesome. So shout out to UC Codings for the shade drive, baby. All right, let's keep moving on here. And <laughs> <laughs> the um, they gave out ice cream at a trade show and it like made me remember them forever. <laughs> that's a good idea. Would they have a cooler in there? Yeah, they had an ice cream cooler. <laughs> like, talk about good branding. I'll never forget them. <laughs> okay, so related to kiln drying, what causes the lumber to shrink in the kiln or degrade? I think we kind of touched on it, but let's yeah. go back. So, I mean, basically the shrinkage is caused because you're removing the moisture or water from the cells of the lumber or of the fiber. So is is you remove that moisture, it shrinks radial, tangentially, and longitudinally. So every which way, as us, us lame people like to say. <laughs> yep. the, board, the board will shrink, shrink in thickness, width, and in length. Okay. Mm, that sounds more like English to me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, I've seen, um, I have seen some cell collapse before. Is that where that would happen? That's, that's where that would happen. So if... Uh, and again, it's more prevalent in the eastern hardwood species and a few of the western hardwood species on closed cell lumber. If you start getting too aggressive at or above fiber saturation and start pulling the moisture out rapidly, it, it'll collapse the cells. I think the redwood is the same you know, down in northern California. But moist... Uh, Fiber saturation is basically when you are above fiber saturation, you still have moisture in the cell and the cell wall. So if you start drying above fiber saturation, you crank the heat up and you start moving that free water out of that cell really fast, it collapses the cell. Mm. So when you're below fiber saturation, all the free water in the cell is gone but the cell wall still contains moisture. And that's what you're, that's what you're removing it down. We only have a few minutes left and I really want to get to my most, um, the most exciting question to me, 
which is the difference in kilns, because I never knew that was even a thing uh, until recently, until we built our own kilns. So can you just high level for those people like me who don't know a ton about kilns, the difference between steam, radio frequency, and dehumidification kilns? Okay, so let's start with RF dry kiln, radio frequency. It's using radio free. It's basically a big microwave. It's using radio frequency oh. to heat the lumber. And as it heats the lumber, it evaporates the moisture. So when you hear of RF glures, RF dry or radio frequency dry kilns, it's basically just a huge microwave. Okay. So the major difference between a dehumidification kiln and a steam kiln is by the, the method by which moisture is removed from the kiln there. The majority of the water in a DQ kiln is condensed on the coils of the dehumidification unit and removed as liquid. Where a steam kiln, the moisture is actually vented out to the atmosphere. So when we're at, we have both at our, at PLM, we have, we don't have radio frequency, but we have dehumidification and also a dry kiln. And so that's where we see when we walk behind, we see all that water coming out out right. of the pipe. And then down in the lower yard, we see all the steam coming off the top. Right. So yeah. the steam kiln, dehumidification kiln are both ran by boilers. But what is the radio frequency kiln ran by? Is that just electric? Just electricity. So our dehumidification kilns has a boiler and it's basically just there to assist with uh, heat the startup, get the dry kiln up the set point, and then the conditioning cycle. So where down at the track kilns, the steam kilns, the boiler is actually producing live steam to heat the air within the kiln. Oh. The dehumidification kilns, uh, typically they're more efficient because they're recycling the air. So it, you know, it'll put hot air into the kiln and then it brings air back, it sucks the air back in, evaporates the moisture, and then reheats the air that's already warm. So typically a dehumidification kiln is a little bit more efficient to operate. They don't operate at as high temperature, so usually it takes longer to dry lumber. This might depend on region, but what's more, I don't hear a lot of uh, radio frequency. Sometimes I'll get an occasional quote for RFKD. I, don't, I know there's not many people that use them anymore, but what would you say is the most commonly used kiln in lumber? Uh, steam. Steam operated dry kilns. Is it, are they just very, cheaper to build? Uh, actually, the dehumidification kiln is cheaper structure. You know, typically they're built out of wood and insulation. And so, but you have, like I say, you can't run as uh, high a temperature, and you have extended drying times because of the temperature. And most of the time, they have a, a lot less air airflow or air velocity, so they're they add drying time. The dehumidification kilns are good for drying species and products that are prone to drying degradation. You know, timbers, mm. uh, some closed cell wood. I see. Well, um, you guys, oh, do you have a good question, Charles? Well, just one more thing before you get okay. into your rapid fire, because I know we have to wrap up. But you said, um, you mentioned the set point. So is this more just like a vocab question? What What is a set point? What does that mean? 
So for each step within the dry kiln schedule, we have set points for the, for the dry bulb, for ambient air temperature, and the wet bulb, the relative humidity. So those are our set points. And the difference between those two are the moisture gradient is called, referred to as the depression. So the, the farther we open up that depression, the faster and more aggressive we're drying lumber. Okay. Gosh, this is like chemistry. I know. I feel like we could probably have two more episodes or more so, just to get into the nitty gritty. We'll go into a kiln drying 200, 201 next. Yeah, we yeah. passed 101. Okay, Natalie, you want to take it away with some rapid fires? You ready, Denny? I think so. <laughs> What's the last book you read? Two Dog. Oh, good one. Love that book. How would you describe the lumber industry in one word? Challenging. And what is your favorite thing about the lumber industry? The challenge. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. I I see what you did there. (laughs) Well, Denny, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time and your knowledge and putting up with my questions that are very elementary. So (laughs) would you, would you mind if we, this, you did a presentation for us. Would you mind if we threw it up on like a Google drive? for in our show notes so people could see the pictures with all these you know vocab yeah, words that would be fun okay awesome yeah. we we could do that it'd be pretty easy to do yeah that's this you know something the basics that we use the train and teach the up and comers yeah awesome okay we'll link those in the show notes and thanks so much denny hope you have a great rest of your week yep you, you guys too thank you we'll talk to you soon okay bye bye, bye.